want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. This episode is brought to you by Bogey Dope. Interested in a career in military aviation or civilian aviation? Bogey Dope has the courses. It has the instructors, those who walk the path before you to guide you through the process that you might be interested in. You might only get one shot at the career, the dream job, so don't blow it. Swing over to Bogey Dope, click the link down below. Let's them know that I sent you over there, as well as you can use the code AFTERBURN for 5% off any of their courses or material. Invest in your future. Get it done right the first time. Let people who know what they're doing help you out and land that dream job. The way that I'm wired is I'm willing to run down 20 wrong trails to figure out what I don't need to be doing. And so while there's, you know, there's this little circle of people standing at start and there's all these doors, you know, when you're not married, you don't have kids, you don't have a dog, you don't have a mortgage payment, all of these life things that you're exploring, that's the time to take some deep breaths in and just go, well, I'm going to run down that door or I'm going to open that door and run down that trail. As you run down that trail, you may be like, this is the wrong trail. So just run back. What is a wedge? If you're the wedge in the fighter squadron, it's not a good thing. And dude, I have been the wedge in a fighter squadron. About 99% of people say no. That dumpster got too small, so I bought a 40-yard dumpster. And then dude, at 30 years old, I climbed up the side of that dumpster and fell into it. And now I'm just living in my life trash that I never have taken out. It's never been dumped. Compartmentalization while you're executing, very important. Very important to focus on what's next. You know, what's the nearest alligator? Take care of that, you know, near rocks, far rocks, all these platitudes that we talk about. At least my prayer was, dear God, don't let me F this up. Altitude, altitude. Tower 26 is you, runway 411, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, Welcome and thanks for listening to the podcast. My guest today is Dominic Slice Tyke. He's an F-16 pilot. He's the author of Single Seat Wisdom. Also has a course called The Competent Wingman. I'll have that link down below. As always, thanks to my Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast. Excited we're transitioning and moving more and more towards a video first podcast. So you can check out the Afterburn podcast over on YouTube. But my Patreon supporters have enabled and allowed me to grow and expand kind of the capability. Excited about 2023 and some of the things that are coming down the pipe. So swing over to the Afterburn podcast on YouTube and subscribe. You can check out this episode as well as a lot more content. Also, thank you to all of you who have left a rating review over on iTunes or Spotify. Those are the two biggest platforms where this is listed in audio format. And leaving a comment when you do a review is huge. It helps me out. And I'm truly grateful for all those. The goal is to get to 1,000 iTunes or Apple Podcast reviews by the summertime. 
faster and away, almost 800 reviews over there. So thank you again for doing that. And now if you're watching this, drop a comment down below. If you have a question, if there's someone you want to hear from, if you have a question for a guest, do that, like, subscribe, all the things people say over on YouTube. Again, we're shifting towards the video first type format. And I encourage you to swing over there. With all that admin being said, let's jump into the episode with Slice. Boom. Slice, man. I think we are off to the races. And again, like I said, everything can be used against us now. So thanks for joining me on the podcast, man. It's uh, good to have you on here. Roundabout way, we were talking beforehand. We have actually crossed paths in a prior life, and that was in Afghanistan, albeit just for a week or two. And I was like, yeah, you look really familiar. And then nice. you were on the way out, and I was on the way in when I was doing the MC12 gig. So this is, uh, man, it's almost a, that's a decade ago, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Time flies. Yeah, it's a small world. It's, uh, I, I had seen your, your podcast or um, maybe one of your videos on YouTube or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I wonder who, who this dude is. And uh, Drew um, Apollo Taylor, who uh, wrote a chapter in the, the first book of Single Seat Wisdom, he actually, within a day or two, just out of the blue, he's like, hey, do you know Rain? And I'm like, <laughs> who's that? And he's like, oh, he's got the Afterburn podcast. And dude, no kidding. I had maybe a day or two prior had seen your, your YouTube thing just popped up uh, of you ripping around as a... Uh, would you say you're the demo pilot at Shaw or something like that? Yep. And I was like, dude, I just saw his YouTube video, like just <laughs> randomly the other day. It's like a small world. And he goes, Oh yeah, I'll just drop an email and, and link you guys up. So yeah, it was cool. cool. Yeah. Apollo, we B course together. So I know okay. now he's, you know, a weapons instructor out yep. there raging around, which is kind of cool to see. And he was just joking. Like it's been a decade almost since I was in the B course, probably same for you. And then, yeah. you know, fast forward to where you are now. I never envisioned I would be sitting here right now doing a podcast if you'd asked yeah. me a decade, decade ago. And I'm, maybe you would assume you're sitting where you are today. I don't know. You're doing some different stuff. No. So I think for, for many years, I mean, I grew up kind of in the real estate space. My old man bought um, a number of single family homes. So that was kind of, uh, you know, I grew up with that. I grew up, you know, with dad collecting rent and renovating properties and putting in windows and, and doing that kind of stuff. But, uh, if you would have asked me, uh, if I would have ever written a book or any of this stuff, I, there's no way. I mean, I, I knew that I kind of wanted to get into the real estate space. And, um, after buying a couple of single family homes, I got the, I got the itch. And then I took all my notes and, and studying over the years and we started buying multifamily um, to kind of leverage the, uh, you know, the, you can buy one property and go through the whole process and get, you know, a number of units versus just all of the work that goes into getting one at a time. So that was, that was cool, but I didn't think that, you know, I was going to write a book where that, where that came from rain was actually, uh, it was a pain point, right? Cause that's a lot of, of how people grow. You get, you get this pain. Um, you know, I even think back to, to Kandahar, uh, Afghanistan, when I met you first, you probably saw the, um, the scheduling program there and just, uh, out of a, a, a painful need to like share stuff, right. There's scheduling repeaters and processes that we put in place, um, to let people know what their schedules were. Well, I was to get, you know, some passive investors in my company. Initially, I was spending a lot of time, uh, literally whining and dining, um, people to 
just explain what we were doing because you know apartment syndication is is it's not well known but it's it's you know it's a it's a, a way to invest and so that's where that book group the first book was single seat um, investor and it was essentially about 14 years of notes compiled into a one and a half hour read that I could hand to people because a lot of people would be like oh I want to invest in that and then I'd be like well just here's a free book, read this, <laughs> right. you know, drink a glass of scotch and read this. And, um, and then let's talk and dude, about 99% of people say no, that's just the nature of the beast, which so it saved me a lot of time. And after writing that book, you know, it kind of blew up from there. That is really interesting. So I do I have two questions to start with here. One, where you said, Hey, you couldn't envision yourself on this path. Is there something that you did? Or kind of like, a, I don't know if it's a vision that you saw yourself going down. Cause like for me, I never saw sitting here, but I think I can attribute it to maybe saying yes more than no, or being yep. open-minded to ideas and networking. And it kind of one thing led to another. Yeah. So is there anything in particular that you think you could pinpoint that led you to kind of being on a different path than most guys who've flown fast yeah. jets? Yeah, so my my childhood was much different than most. I didn't live in the same place. I didn't go to the same school. I didn't have the same friends. We, you know, I was private schooled, public schooled, private tutored, homeschooled. Um, you know, when I was private tutored, I was at 14 years old. I was a downhill like ski instructor during the day, and I would knock out my homework at night. Um, and then, you know, when we we dad decided to move our family from, you know, Spokane, Washington to Tucson, Arizona, when I was 16, away from family and literally my whole life changed overnight. And, you know, it was honestly one of the best things that happened to me because I started flight school at 16. And, you know, was a civilian flight instructor at 18. So I got to fly and do do stuff, you know, and start college earlier than normal. And, and just such a randomly different type of upbringing, you know, just kind of out, out of the, the normal vein. But I think what you're what you're hinting at, and I haven't actually talked about this on a podcast, but I was thinking about this the other day is um, type A, right, which I, I definitely am, um, has a very negative connotation, right. And unfortunately, um, you know, through my civilian flight instruction, all that kind of stuff, um, I was just willing to outwork anybody, right? Because I didn't have a wife, I didn't have kids. Um, and I just was a workaholic. I mean, I had three jobs in college, there was even one semester where I took three times the class load just to finish. Um, <laughs> just ridiculous, dude, I was doing stuff seven days a week. Um, and so that that type A personality, you know, as I as I joined the military worked in pilot training. Um, because, you know, in pilot training, as you know, there's a lot of self-study. And so I was already driven. Um, I already knew how to do that um, in college and, and you know, in my civilian life. But where it bit me was when I then joined, uh, I, I moved out of that space where I was um, literally the low man on the totem pole for very, very, very many years, right? So as a, as a young instructor pilot, uh, I look back to all the mistakes that I made uh, at my first fighter base. And then my, I'd say that the dark side of my type A personality, the, the workaholism, um, rewarded me by 
you know, being a flight lead and an instructor pilot, and then, you know, all this stuff and being able to deploy and, and, you know, put our talents to good use. But where it all came crashing down was in my early thirties. Um, it was too much, you know, I just, I had loaded, loaded up on life. And then I added a wife and two kids and the house and an investment, uh, company and, and dude, it all came crashing down. So I think like that was, that was a very dark time in my life. Um, and I'm, I'm, I mean, we can, we can talk about it if you want, but I think the, the crux of it is, is like, I had just such a unique upbringing. And then I was a civilian flight instructor, you know, in college. And, and when I joined the military, my, the, the darker side of my type a came out, but I was being rewarded on the side, right? I was being rewarded by, you know, being put into a flight lead upgrade early and, you know, the instructor pilot upgrade and then deploying and then coming. And like, I was winning from like a outsider's perspective and even in my own mind until I wasn't. And then it was, you know, dude, I was not a good dude many times over. Right. And I look back, I'm like, dude, I wish I could have just done X, Y, Z, you know, a little bit differently. Well, yeah, there's no rule book or there's no playbook to this, but I can, I, I can relate to this. I've never actually talked about it either, but I think being a type a I'm will, like, I want to be the best at everything. I want to do everything. I want to conquer everything, but at some point you burn out. And I know there's definitely, I probably can think of like two or three periods in my life where it was just, I mean, you park it in AB and you leave it there yeah. and you cannot, you can only sustain that for so long. I mean, in the Viper, yeah. you got five minutes of it, right? And then you're running out of fuel. Like you yeah. just can't sustain that burn rate. How did you turn the corner out of that? So I think, I don't think there was any, you know, the, if, if there was one defining moment, it was in my young thirties where I kind of, I, I didn't kind of, I mentally crashed. I was, uh, in a dark, dark place. And, you know, you find yourself curled up in the, the fetal position and your brain's just doing crazy things, um, to you. And, you know, you're like, why am I in counseling and what, what is, what the heck's going on? Right. And, um, you know, I think there was, there was a, there's a point in time where you're just, you're in that. And then you just, you have to make the mental decision of going, Hey, I'm here. I don't know what the heck's going on, but I know we can get this figured out. Other people have done it. So just, you know, put your boots on, uh, lace those bad boys up and just, you know, get after the day again. And, um, it's painful. And I think pain, you know, I hinted at it before failure, at least in my life has been something that has, you know, taught me the most, um, if I was willing to actually debrief myself and, and go, well, what, what, what can I learn from this? And what I learned was you, you, the word you hit the negative connotation to having a type a personality is burnout is not only you burn yourself out, but you have this scorched earth type of personality, <laughs> you know, dude, I'm very Irish and I'm very spicy and I'm a hard worker. I, my dad was a workaholic. He was a C-suite exec at pretty much every company he worked at. So that was the, you know, I, I grew up out in the, out in the country driving tractors and pouring concrete and, and it was just, you know, it's a kind of a joke, but when we were little, like dad had two responses and those two responses were, if you were cold, because we grew up in Spokane, so things were cold most of the year. He said he would tell you to put on a sweater 
And if for some reason you were hungry or you were complaining, he would tell you to drink a glass of water. Those were like dad's two answers, to everything. So <laughs> you knew that if you were going to complain, you were going to get one of two things. He was going to tell you to put on a sweater or drink a glass of water. And <laughs> then you would just, then he would just ignore you. Um, and there's good and bad to that. But I think the, you know, the, what I have come to know, uh, is called the achievement hamster wheel, right? And that's the, that's what leads to burnout is when you, you start saying yes to everything, right? Which I don't think is a bad thing, right? I think that you need to say yes to enough things to know what your working competencies are or like your working genius. And that's kind of how you figure out life. You figure out life through action, you know, and a lot of kids nowadays, they graduate college and they're like, I'm just looking, I'm looking for my whatever. Right. And all this right. flowery stuff. And I'm like, dude, the way that you find that is not through book study. It's taking that knowledge that you learn and putting it in action. Guess what? You're probably not going to be an internet sensation or a multimillionaire <laughs> in the first couple of years. Gotta work. Yeah. That that's a good way of describing it. Cause now I think for me, I still say yes to a lot of things. I now also, I think I try to smartly say no to things. Yep. Based on experience, I can kind of gauge where that, how much bandwidth that's going to require and then what the ROI potentially is. Yeah. But there are things that I say yes to that maybe I wouldn't have normally. Like, again, I, I joke like the podcast. I couldn't spell podcast three years ago. It's something completely foreign and different. And it's required to learn a whole new set of skills when it comes to editing programs, just things that I never thought I would do. But yeah. by saying that it has opened up other opportunities that otherwise would not have presented themselves. Again, it still takes work. And now it's just, it's always trying to find that, that balance of like always pushing and max performing the jet, right. Taking up the, yeah. to the limit, but not exceeding the limits. That's the challenge. So yeah. I haven't figured that out yet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think. And so that, you know, having gone through those, um, you know, it's, my life is a little bit like the federal reserve in a way where they, they generate these boom bust cycles, right? So <laughs> you get this big old boom, you know, the economy takes off and they jack up their, their fiscal policy and then you, you bust. Right. And that's what we're seeing right now in the economy. Um, you know, as it starts to, to come back down and they, you know, they tighten down, but I'm kind of the same way, dude. I think, you know, there's, there's, if that's your personality, that's not something to run away from. It's just something to maybe acknowledge. And I could have, I could have known about myself, right? Like, I think it's even on the temple of Apollo in Greece. It's like, you know, know thyself in whatever Greek, uh, weird, you know, <laughs> symbology they have there, but I didn't for many years. And, um, I think that's part of, part of the journey is, is just, you know, kind of figuring out as you, as you walk your path, you know, what am I good at? And the, a lot of times the way that you find that is just like, you're saying, I'm going to say yes to the podcast. And then I'm going to say yes to these other things and it opens up the door. And a lot of times when you, when you run down those paths, um, there are other opportunities that present themselves and you can stop doing other things. And that's, I think that's the lesson learned is that if you are kind of a boom bust type a, you, you tend to burn yourself out when you are burnt out, that's the time to maybe pause and debrief yourself. Right. And, um, dirty bird, he's a, a weapons officer, um, 
let's see here's he's a weapons instructor he flies the f-16s and f-35s he was one of my t-38 students way back in the day i'm not going to take credit for his success (laughs) um in fact his failures are probably um can be credited to me but he wrote a chapter in single seat wisdom volume one and it was called the art of a fighter pilot debrief and it's a very simple concept you can call it whatever you want but it's you know after you go through something you need to sit down and go was that luck was that intentional was that that was the, you know, the, the second book, we have an astronaut that wrote about plan, execute debrief. So box Johnson, who's, you know, seen the world from a massively different view than you and even you and I from space, he wrote about plan, execute debrief. So as you make your plan and then you execute it, a lot of us, myself included, um, don't debrief effectively in our personal lives as fighter pilots, you know, that, you know, we, we, tend to get in the weeds and, and figure that stuff out. But in our, our personal lives, that wasn't, that wasn't happening. And I think that's like the lesson learned is when you do, if you do find yourself crashing or if you do burn yourself out, um, know that you're know that that's a spot where you can grow. Cause as you start again, you're going to know specifically what not to do. Yeah. You're right. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a good, uh, that's a good conversation to have. I think there are people that can relate to it. I know I can relate to it. And again, as you navigate life, it's dynamic, there's variables, but that being able to debrief yourself and assess where it went right or where it went wrong can pay dividends down the road. I wanna yeah. jump all the way back, peel back to the beginning. What got you involved? What got what spiked the interest in flying? Oh man, you know, I was one of those kids that I think just lucked out at um, a young age. I just, I wanted to be a pilot. There were, there were two things I wanted to do when I grew up. It was either be a major league baseball player (laughs) or be a fighter pilot. Um, and I played a lot of baseball. I mean, there was a point where I was playing baseball seven days a week. Again, the type A in me just, you know, club baseball, burning myself out and where that got derailed was when I started flying at 16, I was then playing club baseball in Tucson and it really frustrated me that I was working really hard to play ball. And unfortunately the team that I was on, at least half of them were just a bunch of dingbats and they just, (laughs) it just frustrated me so bad because, you know, I want to win. I want, I want to win some games and dude, we would do, we would have just a bad inning and, you know, we'd lose a game and it would just frustrate me beyond all belief. So that's where I started really pouring myself into aviation and I actually stopped playing ball. So that was kind of, you know, the, the lesson from that of, you know, where, do, where do I want to go? And what do you think that I can, what do you think that I can do? And, and what am I enjoying? But, you know, and, and then there are people probably just like in your life that spark that interest, right? And you don't know it at the time, but you look back and you go, holy crap, that was a life changing moment. And one of them was, um, I've talked about it before, my dad at seven years old, he, you know, on my seventh birthday, we built a little F4 plastic model on the kitchen table. I still have it to this day. And that I I was going to be an F4 pilot growing up. And little did I know that there was two seats in that jet and I wanted to be a single seat fighter pilot, but, um, (laughs) and it was gone by the time, you know, I got to uh, eventually got here to Luke (laughs) six and a half years ago. Dodge that bullet. Yeah. So it's just those little moments in life, you know, and I think those can be overlooked if, you know, as you, as you start to grow, right. Where you're not, you're not the hero in your own story anymore. You're the guide. Right. And so as you transition and you've kind of been there, done that to not 
you know, not forget about those, those impactful moments for, for the people growing up that maybe were looking to do that too. Yeah. Doing the demo thing was a lot of fun. It was a, I mean, it was an awesome experience to go fly that jet and do things that you normally you get arrested for. Right. But the piece was being able to interact with the crowd and do all that. But you can imagine after doing that for the 200th time, you might get tired of doing that. And the same would be for the team, but it was like this interaction you have on Sunday, while this is your 177th time doing it, this is the first and maybe only time that this person is going to interact with someone from the air force. And it's going to have a lasting impact. So you always have to put forth your best effort, you know, be enthusiastic yeah. because again, this is their one and only impression of you. So don't mess it up. And I was fortunate probably like you that I was kind of surrounded by aviation more or less growing up. I got a couple key nudges that really pushed me down this path, but it's funny. I was up at uh, McIntyre in October doing stuff with the guns, Gary Memorial foundation. And I jumped in Uber going to this banquet. The driver asked, Hey, what do you do? And I said, now I'm a pilot. I kind of do the roundabout way. I usually got a dig usually like on the third or fourth question by that point, like you get it out. And he asked, well, how did you know? And when did you know you want to be a pilot? And I kind of told me, you know, I was a teenager, long story short, that's when the, the bug hit me and everything I did was focused on becoming an air force pilot, you know, ROTC. Then when I was an ROTC, everything was focused on becoming a pilot. Everything, everything I did from having a job, grades, et cetera, was focused towards that one goal. And he goes, you're really fortunate that you figured that out early. I said, absolutely. Cause that's one thing I do yeah. tell young people. It's like the runway, like in life, it can be relatively long, but perspective wise, like it's short and you really have a finite window. Like high school is really important. College is really important. But if you want to do something that has a time limit, like going to pilot training, like you have to be there by 33, you don't have much runway. And oh, by the way, if you botch it with your GPA in high school or in college, now you got to make up for that somehow, some way, which can be something that's not, you're, you're not able to overcome. And every profession has something that parallels to that story. So really yeah. those like young years, like you can always reinvent yourself and do other things, but the runway is pretty short in the beginning. So if you want to get out the gate and start something, you got to go out there and pursue things. And it kind of jumps back to like, you got to try things. You got to push yourself. You got to seek the knowledge, seek mentors, expose yeah. yourself to different things because I don't think you have that much time to really figure it out in the big picture. Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's I think you're, yeah, you're, well, you're hinting at this idea that is a lie and that's these, you know, kids grow up and like, you can do whatever you want to do. And I'm like, well, not really. Um, you know, if you have diabetes, it's going to be difficult to be a pilot. That doesn't mean that you can't own an airline. You know, right. if you're a quadriplegic, that doesn't mean, you know, you can't be a soccer player. <laughs> you, you have to, maybe you can buy a soccer team. Um, so yep. there's, there's roundabout ways to still win hard at life. Um, and I think the, the word is kind of escaping me right now, but find, find your, find, you know, I'm not passionate about it or, you know, those, those types of buzzwords. And the thing is, is that you don't know what you're passionate about until you pour yourself into something and you, in it, and you, you do the work, right? B playing baseball wasn't super fun until I started to get good being an, uh, you know, a fighter pilot, honestly, for the first three or four or five years, 
you're just learning a lot. And a lot of time in my case, specifically, I suck. I, you know, I messed <laughs> up a lot and, and you, those, those lessons, as long as you take them. And unfortunately I didn't take them the right way a lot of times, but you learn from those. Right. And, and it comes from the, the passion now being, you know, a, a, an F-16 instructor, um, it's amazingly fun. And it is, it is my passion. It is my life passion. Um, it is, I think I have the best job on the planet. I would rather be doing this job than any other job in the world. And, you know, I think that my passion, I found it eventually after many years of <laughs> hard work and I paid for my civilian flight instructor stuff. So dude, when I joined the military, um, the most I made in a year was $11,000. So I was living on freaking bean burritos, hold the cheese. I can't right. even, I can't even <laughs> buy that. You know, I was a good day when my car would start and I could make it to work. Um, and th then I was facing 70 plus thousand dollars in, in school debt when I joined the military. And, you know, at that time too, I had, I had pursued a job with SkyWest airlines and their offering salary, um, starting out was about $22,000 a year. And dude, that was double what I was making. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, dude, I'm having bean burritos with cheese every day. I'm going to, I'm going to get a car with air conditioning, right? Cause I lived in Tucson. So my car would overheat. So I would have the heater on with the sunroof open and the side windows open. And I would direct the heaters out the window just so my car wouldn't overheat. Um, so, you know, years, it took me 10 years to pay off my debt from college. And it was a very good life lesson, right? Cause you know, debt can just, it felt like a gorilla rolled off me and I earned it. I, you know, I, I wasn't a penny pincher, but I was very frugal with my money to get that debt off my plate. And, and nowadays it's just, it's the wrong message being pushed. The government will forgive your debt. The, you know, got to find your passion right out of college. And I'm like, that's false. You have to work. You got to take, you got to put what you learned into action. And that's what gives you success. But even more than that, as I have gotten older, if that success is just pointed at you, me specifically, like if, if I, if I judge my success by, you know, you want to talk about a good story loop, if I have achieved success, but it doesn't have significance that's longer than just me, right? The story doesn't continue on. That's when I crash. And that's when I crashed in my early thirties is I was a fighter pilot instructor. I had deployed, I'd been a flight commander deployed. I'd done like all of my big ticket items. Um, I married a beautiful girl. We had kids, like we had the life. And then I looked at my punch list and I was like, wow, I'm successful. And then I crashed because it was all about me. And so then you talk about, you know, you, you know, in, in the green room before we started talking today, if you want to talk about something, um, you know, that is lasting, um, a, uh, and you'll run into these people in your life, but a, a, a guy that you could tell um, you know, they say, what do they say? Money talks, wealth whispers. He came up, uh, to me and, you know, he had the silk shirt and the nice car and all that stuff. And he kind of just whispered, he, he was whisper talking and he was just going, dude, you can build this real estate empire, but then your kids in one generation can rip it all down and they can fight over it. And he goes, if basically your story, if your success doesn't have some significance beyond just that, just beyond dollars and cents, it'll all fall apart. And so, you know, when COVID hit and there were a lot of things going on in the market and life and, you know, with people, that's when 
we, it was kind of a hobby starting out, but that's when we wrote the first book of single seat wisdom. And it's just 20 fighter pilot stories that, you know, were, were given back and we're sharing. And I, I thought it kind of made me laugh. I'm like, my kids are not, when I die, my kids are not going to be able to travel around the world and pull all these books off of people's bookshelves. So that's a pretty <laughs> timeless lesson, right? It is, you know, we, if you want to measure success, the, the book is a success because it got published and people read it and, you know, we get a lot of good feedback from it. It's not my story. It's stories of, you know, 20 other fighter pilots in every book. And there's some significance to that. It's lasting. All the money from single seat mindset goes to a children's cancer foundation. So, or a, a cancer nonprofit. So, you know, it's not even really, it is about money, but it's not money for us, you know? And that was, that was the powerful piece. That was the powerful lesson that had I not taken the plunge, I wouldn't have learned that. Where did you get the idea? Like what, what was the impetus of writing the book? Um, it, it, you, you had hinted at it earlier. You know, we, if you're type a, right. And you're, you're learning, I think the, you know, as you, as you hone your focus, if you're a type a person, you've burned yourself out enough and you've taken those lessons, you've been smart enough to, you then start to become a little bit more humble. And in my case, it took me many years to learn that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but the, the idea sprung from a bunch of different things. So I had already started businesses. I had already written a book. Um, and those were just me saying yes to things that I wanted to do in my life. And then COVID was really what, what really put everybody back on their heels. And we had a, we had a class of F-16 students that were struggling mightily because of the lockdowns and the masking and the separate schedules. And I sat back and I was like, man, these dudes learn a lot in the social circles in the fighter squad. And that's where they get a lot of their lessons learned. And so I started sending them a, cause I know they're busy, a two minute email. They can read it in two minutes or less. That was my promise to them once a week. It was me sending I didn't ask, I just did it. And I was like, dude, this is, you know, concepts like this, like what is a wedge? If you're the wedge <laughs> in a fighter squadron, it's not a good thing. And dude, I have been the wedge in a fighter squadron. So it was a story about how slice sucks about how I got myself, you know, how I was the wedge in a fighter squadron, how I basically unwedged myself. And it was just a, a, a story. And, you know, the students would walk up to me. I remember one very vividly. He's like, dude, all we see is you instructor pilots, like nailing it, right? Like you just, cause we've done it 10, 12, 10 billion times, right? It's not even right. a word, but you, we've done it so many times <laughs> that you know what not to do. And that's what I told him. I'm like, dude, you know, we, we just, we've messed up so much that now we kind of know what not to do. And that leads us down the right path. And I'm like, dude, we made mistakes just like you. And that's why we laugh as instructors is because I know the mistakes you're going to make because everybody makes them. And that's part right. of learning. So those messages that I sent to them got very time consuming because it was a 31 week program that I put together. And then I was like, well, it was kind of a hobby. And then I asked a couple of dudes, I'm like, do you want to, you know, I've published books. Do you want to, you want to give money to this children's cancer foundation or a cancer nonprofit and then write a story in this book and I'll, I'll do all the work, the, the nitty gritty, get it published. And dude, one thing led to another. I had 20, you know, basically we got 20 stories and published and it was kind of the worst hobby that I ever started. Cause I like businesses. And so then we turned it into a business. 
you know, started the website, we automated the, it's called the competent wingman program. And as soon as I automated it, people started sharing it and dude, we'd get the most, you know, we get random people just emailing us like, Hey, I'm, you know, in week four of the competent wingman program. And I'm a, I'm a air conditioning sales manager on the floor in Wisconsin or whatever, right? Like just the most yeah. random thing. So it was just giving back. Um, it's not completely altruistic. I'd be lying to you. I mean, I get a lot of, I get a ton of good feels from, you know, just hearing people use this stuff. And then, um, you know, the, the children's cancer nonprofit, they're helping families that have children in, in, you know, cancer treatment. So we're, we get to help in multiple different ways and it. And COVID really was the reason that, that it all started. I said yes to a couple of things early on and that kind of led to one thing after another. That's, I mean, it's awesome to hear the success behind that. And again, it jumps back to like what we kind of talked about before, you know, green room and in the podcast as far writing a book to me, that seems like an incredibly challenging thing. I wouldn't even know where to begin to do that. So it's cool to hear you go out there and do those kind of things. I do want to jump back just a little bit because it's something you said, you know, being an F-16 pilot and I can relate to this, like wasn't fun in the beginning. I mean, there's sure there's like some great moments. Same with being a new student. As you're working towards this craft, this profession, there are a lot of nicks, knockdowns, bumps, lumps that go along the way to get to the point where like, okay, I finally know what I'm doing. And that's really like years and years of experience. And every time you upgrade, you're still the you're still at the bottom of the stack, right? And you have to grow as an instructor pilot, as a flight lead, whatever it might be. It's really painful. I mean, for the most yeah. part, there are like, again, victories and some cool parts, but I think that's one aspect that a lot of people might struggle with when it comes to pursuing a new hobby, a new profession is like, you look at the people doing it, you're like, oh, that's easy. They didn't have to work there, right? Because the, what you see is the final product. You don't see what it took to build that product in the yeah. end. You got any advice for people when it comes to that? I mean, is it just slug it out? What do you think? Yeah. You know, I think, um, there's, there's kind of two sides to that. Well, there's three sides to a coin, right? So there's the, <laughs> there's the two sides. And then if the coin's thick enough, usually it is, there's like a little edge that you can stand on. So, um, what I've found at least in, in my life, and this is an over, oversimplification, but you know, if you are on one side of the, of the, the coin, if you will. Right. So in, in my case, um, you know, as you grow and you, you grow out of being the negative connotations of a type a into a more humble, diligent, um, hard worker, action taker, peak performer, whatever you want to call it, all these buzzwords nowadays, if you're that type of person, I don't think, um, you and I are talking about that person right now. Is that, would that yep. match reality? Yeah, right. I'd, I'd buy that. Yeah, because those types of people are going to already be taking action. And it's for me, um, Rain, dude, I never went out and and like I didn't go on a search for a mentor. That just seems weird to me. Like I didn't go, oh, I'm today. I'm going to go find a mentor. No, <laughs> I would go. I'm going to be a pilot. So I'm going to drive down to every single extended campus, college, airport. I'm going to, any pilot that I meet, I'm just going to be like, dude, I want to be a pilot and I'm an idiot. How do I do that? And so for, for me, those mentors show up after you're already taking action. It's the other side of the coin of the people 
that get into this, uh, you know, maybe it's not even a word, but figuring or um, what do they call it? Analysis paralysis, right? Yeah. Where they're, okay, I'm going to, I want to be a pilot. And then they go, all they see is like the airline pilot. And then they're like, there's this infinite amount of steps to get there. And here's the thing. I think because I am not on that side of the coin, I'm not wired that way. I would think that maybe if, if I was that person um, and I did get stick, you know, stuck in this figuring mud and I'm just kind of like, well, I don't know where to go. What next? Um, you know, a, a lot of those types of people will, will um, make a very detailed plan, but they never put it into execution. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that maybe can unstick you from that. If you're that type of person is um, set a, a date right? Go, Hey, I'm going to plan for six months. And then on this date, I'm going to start executing. And, and when you give yourself a timeline, then there is a sense of urgency behind what you're doing. There's a sense of purpose, but if you don't give your, if you give yourself an open-ended, well, I will just figure it out when I figure it out. It's too open-ended, but there is one thing that is just the universal standard. You've probably heard this before is that we all have 24 hours in the day. So for me, I think there was a there was already a sense of urgency, like you said, and dude, I would say, um, we're, we're in kind of the initial phases of, of writing this book. It'll be part of the single seat series, but it's geared for the 12 to about 12 to 18 year old age group. Because I think just looking back on my childhood, you know, I was lucky kind of like you kind of knew what I wanted to do and kind of applied myself, but those that don't, those 12 to 18 years in, in that six year time gap, it is so important to, yes. to do something productive, not every hour of your day, you're a kid, but to have some dreams and aspirations that you are at least exploring on a weekly or biweekly basis. Um, and to give yourself some boundaries of going, Hey, I know that I'm interested in being a doctor, an accountant, an entrepreneur, or a real estate owner, right? So, you know, once a month, do something that helps you learn about that. Listen to a podcast, talk to somebody, go out there. But I think the big thing is if you have this, if you're on the other side of that coin, you know, now that I'm a little bit um, older and I've failed so much, I can stand on the edge of the coin and at least look at the side that I was on and be like, yeah, I messed up a lot on that side. <laughs> but then I look at the other side and I'm like, you guys need to, to stop talking and start taking action. You know, it's, you go through college, you get all this knowledge, but it's, if it's not practically and efficiently applied, it's worthless. And that's, that's the key is, is take some action. But if it's the very, the one simple tip is just put a timeline on it. Cause then it gives you some sense of urgency. It's hundred percent. We, and I know you can relate to this. How much time will mission planning take, right? If, if I give you six hours of mission planning, you'll plan for six hours. If I give you yeah. eight, you'll plan for eight, if 24 hours. You'll do 24 hours in five minutes. Like yeah. at some point, the 80% solution to get the thing out the gate and then assess, iterate, push forward, go figure it out. Yeah. But you have to get the thing out the gate at some point. So don't yeah, be, I and was, then the, yeah. What's Sorry, that? Go ahead. No, 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 please. I would say the, the, the funny part you mentioned is, uh, you know, seeking mentors and where I can relate to that is like, I knew I wanted to be a pilot and I was figuring things out as I went. Like I applied to Georgia tech and Auburn because I thought you had to be an engineer to be a pilot. Like, I, I mean, I still was like everything I was doing, but I just, for some reason I missed that step. 
So I never applied to the University of Georgia because I was like, well, you, they don't have an engineering program, so you can't be a pilot. Lo and behold, they have an ROTC program and there's, I got buddies who went there and became pilots. But I was, I was still figuring all, you know, I was, I had the 80% solution and I know which way I was going and I was picking up pieces as I went, but I showed up to orientation day at Georgia Tech day one, ran into a casual lieutenant. So someone who's waiting to go to pilot training for those who are listening. And I was like, Hey, what do I need? Again, it's just like, I'm, here's another source of information. What do I need to do to be a pilot? Like you are the freshest person who has yeah. the best Intel. Now I'm going to update my Intel based on you. And he's like, you need to have a good GPA. So I was like, copy that. All right. How do I, how do I get a good yeah. GPA? You know, it's like just kind of moving through it, but you got to have some kind of vector and hopefully it's a good initial vector getting you out the gate so that you can build and, and hone that down as you go marching towards whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I mean, I, I, the way that I'm wired is I'm willing to run down 20 wrong trails to, <laughs> to figure out what I don't need to be doing. And so while there's, you know, there's this little circle of people standing at start and there's all these doors, right? Cause from, you know, when you're not married, you don't have kids, you don't have a dog, you don't have all of the, you don't have a mortgage payment, you know, all of these life things that you're exploring. Um, that's the time to, you know, <laughs> take some deep breaths in and just go, well, I'm going to run down that door or I'm gonna open that door and run down that trail. And as you run down that trail, you may be like, this is the wrong trail. So just run back. And as you run back, all the people on the other side of the coin are still figuring. And maybe that's the trail for them, but they don't know. You know, it's not for you. And so yeah. now you run down all these other trails. And as you're doing that, as you're taking action, you're failing. It's painful, but you're learning. And, you know, if you can debrief yourself, you're, you're learning from those experiences. And then when you run down a trail, you have all of these experiences following you because you've been taking action. And a lot of those experiences are failure, right? If you look at, I, I'm biased. I know Steph Curry and LeBron James and all this, but like Michael Jordan's still the best basketball player ever <laughs> to walk uh, Mother Earth, right? Um, look at how many times he missed, right? I think, I don't, I don't remember how much it was. It's well over 50%. But if you just take that life lesson, more than 50% of the time, you're going to fail. And the fail, you know, as I think it's Tony Robbins, the failure is an event. It's not a person. So you are not a failure. You just need to pick out that life lesson. And I think, you know, even guys like Nelson Mandela, who said, I have winning or learning experiences. So if you can just take those failures and learn from them, you then will win harder next time. And that's part of, you know, the failure of, or the, the pain of being a fighter pilot that is so surreal when you are, you're doing something that, you know, let's say you're, you're sitting in your car like I was at 18 years old, watching F-16s land at the Tucson International Airport, the guard base there. And I'm like, that just looks so ridiculously fun, you know, doing the flame out landings. And, you know, and this is just the stuff that I'm seeing at the airport. Right. And then you dream about how much more fun it is. And then the, the person sitting in the cockpit at the end of the runway, at least my prayer was, um, dear God, don't let me F this up, you know? Yeah. And it's, you, as you take off, you're just like, I didn't turn on this system or <laughs> I didn't set up my radar the right way. Dude, I remember the first flight lead upgrade uh, ride that I did. I took off, uh, was pointed uh, eastbound uh, over Japan. Ground goes away. I'm now over the ocean. Didn't set up the departure procedure at all. So it's <laughs> my first time on point. I blow the departure <laughs> procedure. I bust the altitude. 
I exceed the turn distance. Like I just, then that was how I started my flight. Right. Let's go do this. And so I remember, you know, the, the IP behind me going, yo, number one, turn to this heading, do this, whatever. And he got me back on track. And I was like, I can either dwell on that or I can learn from it and just go, you know, I suck. Let me, let me try to get back <laughs> on this horse. Um, and that's, you know, just kind of part of life, you know, and that's part of the, the lessons that you learn along the way, but take action, right? Like that, those, those, those actions, those failures, those are your life lessons. Those are part of your toolkit that you can, you know, grow, grow from and, and learn from. And while not always perfect, we strive to be making those mistakes. I think, you know, the air force and I mean, probably all military and probably civilian flying training for the most part, teaching you to compartmentalize these things so they don't snowball. And again, it's not always possible, but that is one thing that is really important when stuff starts going sideways, compartmentalizing that and like, Hey, I'm going to deal with that later. What's more pressing. What's the nearest alligator to the boat. What's going to really eat me deal with that problem. It's like you already messed up the departure. Like that's over. Now you go worry about the fight and go fight, you know, your best fight out there and we'll debrief and learn from the departure later. But if you just harp on that, then everything snowballs and then you're going to go mess up the flight. You're going to mess up the recovery. You're going to mess up the landing. It just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't end well. So I do think that's not always an easy thing to do, yep. but it is an important skill set that tra should translate to other aspects of, of your life if you do it successfully, because it's not yeah. always going to go well. That's for sure. So the, the word rain, I I'm interested to see your take on this, but the, the word compartmentalize uh, compartmentalization, right? Um, I think that's a, a very valid skill. Do you think that that's leverageable all the time? Right? So if you are always compartmentalizing your life, um, what do you think of that? Right? Like if you, if you're doing that for the year, right, you've compartmentalized maybe things that you haven't dealt with and you're just moving on versus, you know, plan, execute, debrief. So as you're executing something specifically a flight short term versus long term. What do you see like being the, the trap to that? Cause I, I you're, think you're Irish, like, you're Irish like me, right? Which usually results in you just taking all this bad stuff in and never dealing with it until <laughs> it gets so the, the container gets so full that it's going to explode and it's just like violence and bad, you know, like it's not yeah. good. So yeah. that, that, you know, debrief portion of it, like take it, put it away. We're going to address it later is key, but you have to go back and, you know, peel back that onion and figure it out what went wrong and how not to do that again. But that's the piece is not like I'm Irish. I'm not going to talk about my feelings. Why do yeah. I need to talk about my feelings? Yeah. Like, I'm just going to deal with it, you know, like suck it up, yeah. buttercup. You probably can, you can only do that for so long and your bucket to handle all the BS and all the bad stuff. It's going to vary in size from person to person, but no matter who you are at some point, it will fill up Yeah, and it could be catastrophic. So yeah. yeah, that's, so that's I, my I, take dude, on I, it. I think that, you know, you, you just, you make me smile because like our personalities, the more people I talk to, the more I realize are wired a certain way They have you have the same, it's just like flying with a new, uh, a new F-16 basic class, you know, the mistakes they're going to make, or at least the 90% of them, and they're just going to be repeated. And then, you know, and that's what makes you a good instructor as you've seen it before. So I took this compartmentalization aspect of being a pilot and applied it to aspects of my entire life. Right. And that is what is, you know, so I, my analogy is I had this trash can and I would throw all of my garbage in this trash can and I would slam the lid on it. 
And then my trash can filled up. So then I upgraded to, you know, just a regular old dumpster. And so I started like lifting the lid and just dumping my trash cans into my dumpster. And then that dumpster got too small. So I bought a 40 yard dumpster. And then dude, at 30 years old, I climbed up the side of that dumpster and fell into it. And now I'm just living in my life trash that I never have taken out. It's never been dumped. And so I think that's an important piece is if you know that you are an action taker, a peak performer, maybe you're still learning a little bit about how to soften the edges of your type A personality, <laughs> uh, you know, how to not be super spicy, but still, you know, you know, advance the puck down the ice. Um, compartmentalization while you're executing, very important, very important to focus on what's next. You know, what's the nearest alligator? Take care of that, you know, near rocks, far rocks, all these platitudes that we talk about. However, in your personal life and in life, you don't take the time to debrief and go, hey, you know, I you know, there's this subconscious, like if I'm driving home some day, some days and I'm just like, why am I so angry? Ask yourself that and then address that and then get home and don't hold it in, especially if you're married and just go, hey, I feel really angry right now. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. And man, you just that takes it down. That takes the edge off right away. And then you go, oh, I know what happened. I saw this email or I got a phone call or text or whatever, and it just, it triggered you in a way. And now you just are carrying this around, but you, you debrief, you start talking about it and it's not all like touchy feely, but dude, you got to address that stuff in life. Cause it'll rip you down uh, later. And your personal life is if that's not set up correctly, your professional life will come crashing down around you with your personal life. Very yeah, hundred. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, I mean, I definitely can relate to that. Like you get, emails or phone calls and there's stuff you're just like what is this you know and like it like yeah. for me like there are things that just like it will hit a nerve and yeah. not letting it bleed over into the family life is key but like you can only like you can build that wall but again if you don't address it and like handle that piece of either why did it make you upset or i'm going to resolve that issue whatever it might be it's just going to boil. And at some point, yeah, it's going to boil over the pot. It's going to be like the turkey, you know, you're just dunking the frozen turkey and the, the deep fryer on Thanksgiving and just watch that thing just erupt. That's what it is. So at some point, the turkey's going to land in the deep fryer and just burn your yeah. house down. So I don't know. Yeah. That's an interesting conversation. We've talked a lot about, you know, a lot of good things here, Slice, but I haven't talked in anything. Like what was, I assume you probably didn't want to be a fape, but what what was the, what was the impetus of going from pilot training, FAPE to the Viper? How'd that all transgress for you? You and I, I think probably similar to your group. What year group were you? Yeah. So I graduated in uh, early 09. Okay. So I was 07, but there's still, there weren't a whole lot of fighters in and around that time, but. Yep. Yeah. So what ended up happening was I was actually an 08 okay. um, class and out of the 30 of us, I think we, there was a lot of, a lot of people in my class higher than 10% that washed out. I think there was six. So we lost, oh, wow. um, you know, in T sixes and, in, you know, the, the, if you're listening, like basically the, you go through flight screening, then we're at like undergraduate pilot training, flying the T six Texan two with ejection right. seats. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a freaking real, it's a little go-kart, you know, it's got a jet engine with a, a prop on the front. So this little turboprop airplane, you're, you know, flying upside down for the first time. I, I was having a, a great time. So during that time, uh, like you said, a lot of fighter jets were broken. A lot of the 
uh, pipeline to get to the fighter jets was backed up. People were waiting to go. And in fact, when I started T6s, there were students that had gotten selected to go to the fighter track that were stuck at the basic training base, just doing like one flight every other week to keep their landing currency. So I go through T6s, um, three of us get selected to go to the fighter track and we show up day one. And I remember the door slams, right? We're just like, oh gosh, what's happening? <laughs> um, you know, we get the verbal beat down by a couple of, you know, fighter pilots. And then our flight instructor comes in uh, dirty low and yeah, he goes, dudes, <laughs> he goes, dudes, I don't want to see you for six weeks. And basically they had, they rolled us into the next class. And in the next class, there were three other guys that got selected. So out of the six of us, out of about 60 students, six of us are in the fighter track. And, you know, as things progressed towards the end, you know, the F-16s were having, you know, wing spar issues and the, you know, just you name it, it happened. Well, the one fighter assignment that we thought we had went away the day before our actual assignment night. And so <laughs> me and one other dude, there were zero fighters in our drop and I don't, that didn't happen a whole lot. So, yeah. um, I was lucky. I, I was a civilian flight instructor, so I had a, quite a bit of like prop time and I was just kind of happy to fly a jet. So I got to fly the, the T-38 and, um, if people aren't, if they don't know what the acronym is, FAPE is first assignment instructor pilot. So I actually graduated, went through pilot instructor training, came back. And during that time, those dudes that were waiting to go to the fighter jet track, they hadn't left yet. So I was now, I flew for another six to nine months before they even left. So, I mean, it was kind of a, I didn't view it this way. It was a blessing in disguise, right? Right. God as a way of like pushing you down certain paths that you may not want to go, but he's like, dude, just trust me on yeah. this one. And then sure enough, while I was in pilot instructor training, one of my friends reached out to me and she's like, you got to meet this girl. And so we did a cross country flight in the T-38 and that's how, that's where I met my wife. So had I not done that, I wouldn't have met my wife. We wouldn't have these wonderful kids and all this, uh, this big life. Yeah. You just never know, you know, what doors are going to open and what paths are going to go down. That's pretty cool. Dirty low, great human being, by the way. So we name dropped him if he's listening. Yeah. You know, that's a big yeah. yeah. If he's listening, like we used to have uh, life lessons with dirty <laughs> and it sounds so weird that he would get up at the end of the day and stand at the podium and with his big fighter pilot watch would just like pontificate for about 15 minutes and then he would release us to go home. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I guess I, so I was an 07 college grader, but when, when did you graduate pilot training? Cause it sounds like we're probably the same time. That's what I was referring to yep. was I was a 08, I graduated college in 05 and then okay. did the civilian thing for a number of years. And then I graduated pilot training in early 09. Okay. I was, yeah, 09, 14, which I think. Okay. Been so August. I was 09, 03. So just yeah. a few classes ahead. Yeah. It was a different time. I guess, again, I remember, I forgot they called them, the guys hanging around waiting to go to the B course. students, so break in training. That's right. Yeah. The yep. bit students. And yeah. it's funny, they didn't like do the fate bit. And then like they, they still beat me to the Viper, yeah. obviously, but it was by 18 months or maybe two years, like on a long run there. So, which is still yeah. a significant amount of time. You just, everything yeah. happens for a reason. Your story yeah. definitely took you down some paths. Dude, I got, cool. 
I was one of five FAPES in a squadron filled with fighter pilots. I think there was one bomber pilot. So it was, it was a mini fighter squadron. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of life lessons that I learned there as a spicy Irish, uh, young Lieutenant that was burning the candle with a blowtorch at both ends. Yeah. Um, especially the yeah. T-38 squadrons. Cause yeah, I was a T-6 FAPE, but I don't know, maybe we had 20, you know, FAPEs running around in, in each squadron versus like the 38 squadron. Yeah. I mean, I think across the way I can think of maybe two or three guys over there. So it is a yep. different, it's a different dynamic when you only have like, it's a fighter squadron. You got three lieutenants versus yeah. like in the T six side of the house, not that the FAPEs run it, but there you have a little bit more influence yeah. and sway when you're in this yeah. massive group of lieutenants that can yeah. fill your yeah. car with, you know, styrofoam nuggets or whatever it might be. If, if you get out of line. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Exactly. Vipers. Is that what you wanted? Out of, yeah. Uh, so I was actually, you know, when, when we crossed paths in Afghanistan, uh, about two months prior to you getting there, as I was like ending the seven month, um, tour, I had gotten a call cause I wanted to fly in my mind. I wanted to fly C models, F 15 C's. I know. Right. But yeah. then as I was going through pilot training, they had the first, uh, so four classes ahead of me. So that would have been 08, maybe 13, 14, whatever that time frame. they were, it was the first initial dudes going to the F-22. And so I really wanted to then go to the F-22 because I was like, it's, I, I saw it as a casual Lieutenant after being gone through officer training, I saw the first F-22 demo in Florida that was not open to the public. It was only military. And I saw it, remember seeing that the first time and I was like, dude, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Even, yeah. even cooler than a freaking, you know, rocket ship going to the moon. Like it was just so ridiculous what that airplane can do. And so I'm sitting at my desk, you know, in the scheduling shop, in the trenches, taking grenades in Afghanistan, literally like getting shelled. And my <laughs> squadron commander, um, he called me at my desk and was like, dude, you got your F-22. And I just was like, dumb, dumbstruck. And this dude was, my squadron commander was an F-16 career guy. He was a, a Thunderbird. He was, you know, I, I, all of the, you know, dirty low, right. He was an F-16 guy, dude. I met in that, um, MC 12 squadron in Afghanistan, there was somebody from every single platform in the military. So I got to talk to every single platform, helicopters, you name it. There was a right. B2 guy. Uh, there were even yeah, right. older, there were older dudes that had flown like F-117s, you know, that I had gotten to talk to. And the F-16 dudes were the ones that would stop by hang out in my office, chill, tell me about what an F-16, like B-scope, you know, radar is. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got, while I was there, I got some immersion into all the different communities. Um, and I was like, I'm glad I didn't go to the F-15C. That would not have fit my personality at all. Um, yeah. I would say it's funny that the, the MC-12 thing was probably the best thing that happened for me because I did not want to go fly Vipers. I wanted hogs, then FAPE ah. out of uh 38s because like i want to go i want to do close air support i thought that was gonna be the greatest thing yeah. there are two viper guys in our 38 squadron flight commander is one of them great dude another attached guy viper guy you know we play like softball and squadron team i'm like that guy i i want nothing to do with that guy and if that is what viper guys are like nothing oh. it turns out he was there for a reason uh yeah. you know he, he was <laughs> the chosen one but afghanistan the mcintyre guys were there 
I think yeah. the, it was not Sioux Falls. The Des Moines guys were there. Yeah. And then, like you said, there was such a mix in that squadron. That's where I really got exposed to what the Viper, the mission sets, everything. And then just the people in that community, I was like, that's what I want to go do. And so had I not yeah. done that assignment, I don't know, maybe I'd be, I'd be putzing around in a old hog going real slow, but big old gun. So, you know, yeah. trade-offs. No, I mean, there's, I, I think it would have, we would have made it work and it would have, you know, it'll shook out just fine. Right. Um, but I just remember getting it right. Like when, and that's a, I think that's a life lesson is you like you, you get, you finally go, Oh, I can actually get this thing that I've worked so hard for. Um, and I think it was my, my dad or my mom or somebody influential in my younger life that they're like, anytime you're given a huge life decision, always ask for one day. So I didn't say yes right away. Um, I was married at this point. I got married. So we did a two year long distance relationship, got married and got deployed six months after I got married. So that was fun. So I called my new wife that, you know, we didn't really have any like working relationship at that point. Cause we we're like six months we're noobs. Right. And so I called her and I was like, robotically right through the crappy internet as we're getting shelled. I'm like, uh, I was told that I was supposed <laughs> to involve you in these decisions. Right. And, uh, I'm like, do I really want this, you know, and do I, and, and yeah, turns out I, I, I go to the F 22 guys in the squadron. I talk to the Viper dudes and after a couple of talks, you know, I was like, ah, I think I'm going to maybe pass. And that was a life altering decision. I never, I don't regret it. I think the F 22 still would have been a fantastic yep. assignment and a fantastic airplane, but, uh, the Viper definitely, uh, has treated me well. What, uh, so what, in what way, like, do you think it's been better flying the Viper? And again, I know like if you flew the Raptor or flown the Eagle, it's like anything you're going to grow where you plant or where you're planted and you're going to enjoy yeah. there'd be some great aspects of it. Like for me, I, I, I'll give you a second. The thing is like, I obviously I really enjoy the community. I love the different mission sets. The Viper brought like doing seed. Like that was very challenging for me, for my simple brain. Yeah. But I really like when you're out there and like the one time, out of all the sorties, you're just like slaying it and you got a harm in, in the air and AMRAM in the air and a GPU 38 going to the target. You're like, I'm King Kong. And then it never happens again. But like for me, and then being able to deploy, um, because it, for me, that was really important in those years. Now, looking on back, my perspectives changed probably a little bit, but I really wanted to go out there and deploy and do the job that I had signed up for and been training for the entire time. And I was able to do that in the Viper. I don't know if I would have had that opportunity in the Eagle or the Raptor. Maybe, maybe not. Might be a fair yeah. statement, might be an unfair statement, but what was it for you? Like, why are you so happy that you landed in the Viper? Um, dude, I'm a, I'm a very much a glass, a glass half full kind of guy. Um, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier, Apollo uh, Taylor and I were, were the classic reframers. So, the you know there's a volcano that just totally erupts and takes out our whole life and we're like all right what's the goodness in this and everybody's <laughs> just dying everywhere right so i will you know as people are looking at all the the bad stuff i just 180 and i go well what did i learn from this you know what what's the goodness in this what is the goodness in covid right well single seat mindset exists now in all these books and so i think i say that because your past strongly influences how you, and you know, as, as humans, we want to rationalize and make sure that we made the good decision. And, and so now like in my life, if I was like, that was a bad decision, dude, I would hate flying the Viper. 
So clearly, based on my decision <laughs> back then, I want to rationalize my good decision-making skills. Um, but I will give you this one story. On my second deployment, um, I was the, um, like, whatever, mission commander, or, you know, there's there's all these different assets. There's the Frenchies, there's the the Saudis, and, and uh, the Raptors had shown up in theater. And at the end of the mission commander brief, when we're talking, you know, targets and, and filming things and, and doing what we're supposed to be doing. Everybody left the, the little virtual room that we were in, but the Raptor guys were there still. And they're like, Hey, slice, dude, we're going to be dropping on like targets, you know, X, Y, and Z. Can you guys film that for us? And dude, that was a very <laughs> defining moment of, again, just more rationalization for slice referring to myself in the third person, but like I made the right choice, right? Like these dudes are in the most capable uh, air to air fighter in the freaking world. It's an amazing airplane. And they're asking little old me in a Viper and F 16 to go film their, their bomb impacts. Cause they can't do that. Um, but again, dude, I, I think I'm, I'm the classic, like glass half full kind of guy. So I'm, I'm like, I, I think the the decision was great. I'm here now. I'm being told that maybe uh, I might fly the F-35 or who knows. So there's, yeah. there's again, grow where you're planted, you know, something that even being a FAPE, like that was a blessing in disguise because I got to practice being an instructor, maybe not being a fighter pilot, but being, there's a lot of things I learned as an instructor and now teaching here in the basic course, that stuff is, I mean, I did it a thousand, thousand times over and over and over. So these young guys come in and if I would, if I hadn't done the civilian flight instruction, if I hadn't been a ski instructor, if I hadn't done all these things, teaching, um, I love to teach and I can break things down for a business major type person to understand. Right. Yeah. Um, so dude, I, I, I love it. I, I mean, my, I'm very biased clearly. Um, I think I made a good decision. Um, but dude, I think if I went to the Raptor, I, I would have had a great time too. Well, your culmination of your experiences and obviously you have a lot and it's taking you a lot to get to this point. I do. I wonder how many times the Raptor guys had to ask because I know that question. I heard it asked a few times and I know it was asked a lot uh, yeah. you know, downrange. So you want Big Brother to be there when you really need them, though. So I'll say that. Like, yeah. It's nice to have them yeah. like when things are going south. I'm like, can you take care of the big problem? Um, yeah. So, yeah, you, you need those guys. But it, it's interesting to hear kind of all these aspects kind of come together and talk about just the path you've woven through life. I want to talk just a little bit more about the book because first sure. and foremost, now you have the second one out, which is volume two. I appreciate you sending both of them my way, which is great. It's cool to see like some of the names uh, in there and read some of the stories that, that guys and gals that I know and have flown with. Uh, right. So if you want to check out single seat wisdom. I got a link down below in the show notes, but first you had to herd some cats to get this all together. Was it a challenge to herd? all these fighter pilots to write stories and get them to turn them in, et cetera, et cetera. Dude, it was more work, much more work than, uh, publishing the book myself, you yeah. know? So I published that book myself. And really, if you're, if you're an action taker, I just was like, I'm going to set a timeline and I'm going to write this book and get it done and publish it, get it out the door. You can't do that when you're dealing with 20 other busy, uh, people. Right. So, um, the challenging part, and I, I look back, and again, this is part of failing and learning. I looked at my marketing message and the web page that I built <laughs> when I first started out, dude, knew it was freaking terrible. 
absolutely <laughs> horrific. I mean, it looked like a kindergartner put this thing together. Um, but I will say, as you said, you know, your, your, your life experience has kind of come together. This isn't the first time that I asked people to do something big and put money into it. Right. Because I had, I had the, the business background. I owned a number of businesses. I had written a book. So I was just basically the, the platform that I was going on was I've already done this before. This is a little bit different. I don't know anybody that has done this. I don't know anybody that's put taken fighter pilot stories and compiled them into one book. So it's a new concept. I think it's, it's great. Believe in me. And then, oh, by the way, you have to send money to this children's cancer nonprofit <laughs> in order to be part of this project, which that takes the edge off of it. And, and honestly, I think the biggest piece to this whole project is it's not about me slice. It's about sharing stories and giving back. Um, and we all get to share in that, right? So just sharing the love across the board is what really makes it fun for me. Um, Rain, between you and I, I'm struggling because I'm so busy right now. I'm like, should I, I have, I think at least six dudes signed up for volume three, but I'm like, it's so much work. Do I want to take that on here in a, this year? Or do I want to wait a year? And I am a huge proponent of accelerated acceleration. So like, am <laughs> I stopping right after the machine was running? Cause the machine's running now, or should I just send it? What do you think? You got to send it. You got the flywheel going, man. Once you got the inertia, yeah. it's like, you got to figure you're going to say that. Yeah. You're rolling down the runway. I, I mean, <laughs> you can all, are you past V1? I, I don't know. And if you're in the Viper, you only got one decision to make there, but yeah, you know, it, it's cool to see it come together. And that's, I mean, I joke like hurting cats. Like I can't, it's tough to on a weather day when all flying is canceled, like, Hey, we're going to do a lunch push. Where are we going to do a lunch push to? Um, yep. and these are really complex problems we got to solve here with a, a group of pretty smart individuals and it still yeah. takes five minutes when it should be a 30 second decision. Yeah. So when it's coming to writing a book and compiling all that, like I can't even imagine what it's like to herd those cats. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's personality dependent. Uh, my F 16 flight commander, um, he actually has, he wrote an ejection story in the second volume. And, uh, how do you give a retired colonel that is a airline captain that ejected over a hostile territory that went through all that. How do you give somebody like that feedback on their story to, to guide them in the direction that they need to go and not hurt feelings and all that kind of stuff. So that, that is something that I think had I not gone through my big mental crash, maybe the humility wouldn't have come out and like, dude, this is your story. Let's publish your story. And you don't have to take any of my inputs, but this having been the 40th chapter that I've written, I've seen a couple of these, and these are some of the things that I think might help. And just like you, like, you know, with your podcast, editing stuff out or, or tweaking things, the best movies are the ones that have the least amount of fluff in them, right? Like it's just the impactful parts of the story. Right. Um, and so that's, it's been, it's been a challenge. I've gotten a little bit better at it. Um, I think not to toot my own horn, but that's just through the school of hard knocks. It's taking action. Well, reading the book, it gets very, for me, and I have a George education, like it's very easy to read and like, you know, you can kind of like crank through it, which is, it's cool. And then it's still cohesive, despite the fact that it's a collection of 20 plus yeah. individuals that are going through writing stories, which in itself is challenging. And you do bring an interesting aspect is like, how do you give that feedback to someone? And I'm not perfect at all. We're joking. We did a bro chat this weekend. 
Like, I hate listening to my own voice. I do all my own editing. Like Same. it is nails on a chalkboard going through and doing that. But then you learn and part of it, like I'll watch this again and we'll find out what my word of the day is. You know, just like you're sitting in the debrief <laughs> and like kind of like, wow, he really has no vocabulary whatsoever. He just really thinks it's fascinating or whatever it is. Yeah. But going through trying to get better. But for you've now done that. When I do a podcast with someone, especially it might be their the only time they're doing it. Simple things you try to like cage, like, well, sure, you're gonna be sitting in a quiet room, right? Like you're not gonna have, you know, a band playing in the background, but you'd be surprised at things that you assume. And it's yeah. just like everything in life. It's not always it's not always common knowledge and you're just dealing with different things. So you got to kind of like manage, manage the crowd, depending on who you're dealing with. And that person might be have done a lot more and you have a lot more respect for them. Not that you don't have respect yeah. for a lot of people, but it's yeah, it's interesting. So I don't know. I mean, That's just everybody's going to take it differently. Like my the story that I will say, like, and I, I'm not going to name drop, but he did write a chapter in the second volume. He and and people that know me would know who this is. But fantastic human being. Um, he was my roommate in pilot training. And then when we were FAPES as well, he was my roommate until I got married, I had to kick him out. But um, I sent I, I have a writing guide. It's a one page writing guide that defines exactly what the 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 who we're writing to um, the the topics that we're willing to accept the word count specifically, like you said, I wanted people to be able to even if you're not a book reader, you can rip through one of these chapters in 10 minutes or less. So and it's very easy and you don't have to remember it because it's just one story. And then the next chapter is a different story. So it's not like reading freaking, you know, Lord of the Rings, dude, like you have yeah. to be you have to like start <laughs> and you know, I don't think I've even I haven't even finished those books. But like, that's that was the intent of it. Well, this dude sends me it, you know, these chapters are, you know, 1000 to 1500 words, plus or minus, right? Super easy to rip through, you know, just drink a beer, sit in your favorite chair and just read a fighter pilot story, right? It's, it's badass, man. <laughs> um, well, he sends me a 9000 word chapter. <laughs> 9,000. I was like, slide, dude, that's slide overshoot. Slide overshoot. That is a third of the book, right? So, um, what was so awesome is I was I was mad for about one minute, and then I immediately did the thing that I always do is I go, "What's the goodness in this?" And so I read it, and there was a a little chunk. There were these life lesson chunks that he had in this nine thousand word chapter, and one of them was. I'll give it away if you buy the book and read it. It's <laughs> basically how to be a new guy. And he is one of the best new guys in the Air Force that can be a new guy and is just a touchdown of a human being, right? So we plucked out that. I was like, dude, this is the my favorite one. Let's just put that in the book. And oh, by the way, we are writing this book for 12 to 18-year-olds. You just wrote a third of it. Do you want to be a co-author in it? Your work's done. And so we already, you know, if you just pivot and look at what life you know, life gives you lemons, find somebody with vodka, have a party, right? Like that <laughs> right. was our party. I was like, dude, you just really helped this next book that we're trying to trying to write. So there you go. Um, and I know you're writing that and then volume three. So you're gonna have like two of these coming out. I mean, you it's full send. <laughs> so it's just off, off to the presses, send it. So, yeah. well, hey, as we're kind of wrapping up one, um, I didn't preface it in the green room. I like you to hang around once we hit end here and do a there yeah. I was story. That's something for Patreon supporters, as well as Apple podcast subscribers It'll be something kind sure. of exclusive here. 
But before we wrap up, I always like to ask my guests, you know, if you found 15, 16 year old, you walking down the street, would you give slice any advice, tell them to do something different, change the vector at all? Yeah, it's, it's very simple. It is five minutes each morning. All right. So, um, and it's something that I didn't do, especially if you're an action. So this applies to an action taker because I was an action taker. When you wake up in the morning, if everything is uh, a level 10, then everything becomes a level one. If everything's an emergency, then nothing's an emergency. So if you don't take time in the morning to um, pray, to meditate, to just sit in silence, don't do anything. If, if you do feel like that you have to interact with all your thoughts, put a pen and paper beside yourself, write those things out, get them out of your brain, but sit in silence and do it for five minutes. I tried 15 minutes when I first started out. I couldn't <laughs> sit still for that long. So I was like, let me just, it's called my five minute rule every morning. Just sit there. Don't, don't turn your phone on. Don't do anything. Don't read a book. Just sit there and go, what is my intention today? Right. And that is how you plan. And then at the end of the day, dude, spend five minutes. How did the day go? Debrief yourself. And that simple little thing it is, it is oversimplified, right? You can start taking this in different directions, but the five minute rule really kind of like, uh, not to sound like a person that doesn't wear shoes and eat tofu and drive a Volvo, but like, <laughs> dude, it grounds your day, right? So that five minutes you go, what am I doing today? Um, and it just gets you, it gets you on the right foot and it kind of cages like, okay, we're, what am I doing to, specifically? What am I not doing today? Yeah. I like that. That's perfect. Yeah. I want to wrap up. So single seat wisdom, you got volume one and volume two out. I know it's out there on Amazon. And I didn't, yeah. I was actually going to tie in this. I actually did read the uh, newsletter you sent about the wedge, which it yeah. made me laugh. Right. But like at some point everyone's been the wedge, where can people find you? And then also they want to sign up for the newsletter, find the book, et cetera. What are some key takeaways here? Yep. So it's all we've programmed everything. There's, there's multiple offshoots, multiple websites, but everything is at singleseatmindset.com. So single seat being like, we're, you know, one seat in the jet and then mindset. Um, so singleseatmindset.com, um, are, we now have the insider circle there where they can go find the competent wingman and all the other stuff as we grow, we're still growing. So keep checking back. Uh, if you're listening to this, even, you know, years in the future for those that slugged it out all the way to an hour and 17 minutes and 10 seconds, <laughs> buckle up. If you go to singleseatmindset.com forward slash podcast gift, it's one word. Uh, the first three people that sign up there, I will just, I'll send them a free copy of the first volume of single seat wisdom. Um, assuming you live in the States, I did have somebody in like um, Manila or like oh. Cambodia or Thailand, and it was going to be like $89 to ship. So we'll, we'll figure out how to get you the book, um, <laughs> but specifically in the States or like an APO address, uh, go sign up for that. And we'll, we'll get one of these books in your hand. Yeah, you'll have to give me that link. And I mean, I can hide it down in the comments there. So it rewards the people who actually make it to the end here. But because there will yeah. be a decent amount of people to make it to the end, but there's gonna be some that just, you know, they, they hub cap yeah. off and that's fine. You know, it just is yeah. what it is. But Slice, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. I appreciate, I think you're gonna hang around here. We'll do a There I Was story. But again, thanks for talking and sharing, sharing some thoughts. Sounds good. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, encourage you to swing over to the Afterburn Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe over there as we move towards this video first format. As always, thank you for those who've left a rating review over on iTunes and Spotify as well. And thank you to my Patreon supporters for making this all possible.
I'll see you next time.